Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Greetings! And our guest this evening is Rachel Hartman, the author of... Um, young adult novels Serafina and sh- the new Shadow Scale. And uh, I didn't know this until I started researching Rachel, but uh, she was also a longtime uh, graphic novel uh, creator for Amy Unbounded, which won the 1998 Ignatz Award for Best Mini Comic. And if you have young people in your house, especially girls, you must have Serafina in your house. Welcome to the show. Maybe oh, don't bring all you. of her friends. <laughs> they may be too big to fit in the house. <laughs> thank you both so much. I am really excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, uh, your books are centered. Uh, the the newest ones are centered around a central character who is not completely human, and and that's that's, correct. that's a that's a fun premise just to start with. Yes, yeah. yes. No, it is. It's. Um, she is, I don't think it's too spoiler to say, she's half human, half dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find that out fairly early in the first book. The dragons uh, are shapeshifters in your books, which, yes, if they weren't, yes. it would be extremely awkward. That would, be, uh, would, would yes, create too many uh, weird visuals. But um, no, they're shapeshifters, and they, they can take human form, um, and they, they have decided this is worth doing because otherwise they have difficulty communicating with humans that humans weren't really believing that these growls they were hearing were any kind of language. And so in order to finally communicate, they, they shifted down. Uh, and uh, the idea actually came to me back in my comic book days. I had always intended there to be dragons in my stories. Dragons are my favorite mythological creature. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in order for there to be dragons like I, once I got to the point where I had to start drawing them because I was I was not just writing these comics but I was I was illustrating them as well. Um, I came to the disappointing realization that uh, dragons are hard to draw. Ooh, so yeah. uh, I, I was sort of stumped. I said I thought I had two choices. I could either abandon these characters that I had always planned, you know, would, should be there, or I could sit down and practice really hard and learn to draw dragons properly. Um, but that seemed really boring. I was just, I was not feeling it. And so suddenly it came to me one day, what if dragons could take human form? Then I could draw humans. And I already knew how to do that. So see, I thought I was like some kind of super genius of laziness. Uh, and then I, you know, solved this problem so easily. 
Um, but what I didn't realize until I really got into it is that it it uh, raises more questions mm-hmm. than it answers because if dragons can take human form, then there's a lot of different things you have to take into account in the world. Uh, and so that has really just been kind of a treasure chest of ideas for me. Well, this is just this whole thing is informed by racism, whether it's human racism or any other kind. And mm-hmm. that's that's very well addressed in these books. Yeah, there's there's hate crimes and there's there's right. you know right no there's misuse a lot of, of yeah, religion. A lot of things you can do with it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm finding you know it fascinating. The further into this we get, and uh, oh, thanks. And when's yeah. the third one coming out? Because I'm dying here. Okay. Everybody asks. Yes, no, there that. is. There is. I'm working on the third one right now. Right now. Uh, in fact, I'm under contract for two more. Uh, sort of a second duology. Serafina and Shadowscale is a kind of a complete in itself. Um, but then there's a there's gonna be two more. A, a different story about different characters, but set in the same world. Anybody we know? Well, uh, if you read Serafina, there's a m- brief scene where you meet. Uh, her half sisters, who are entirely human, um, and they're they're twins, uh, Tessie and Jen. And the the next book is the adventures of, of Tessie as she goes off on her own, and kind of has to live up to her big sister in a way. Because uh, I have sisters myself, and, and when one of them has done something extraordinary, you find yourself going, "Oh, <laughs> you know, how can I possibly live up to this?" So that's something I'm kind of exploring in the next couple books. One of the Recurring themes in uh, in young adult uh, fiction is uh, the the outsider syndrome, mm-hmm. where where um, you know the, I thought the, I was the only one. I thought I was the only one, and <laughs> every teenager feels that. Every teenager goes through and that. Every teenager feels like a half dragon. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're especially if you're a geek, you know, mm-hmm. bursting feels. out in scales, and they might grow a tail. <laughs> Right. So, right. so Serafina is unusually well positioned to take advantage of this particular, uh, this particular meme or vibration in young adult fiction. I was, yes, I'm I think she is, and I think one of the one of the beauties for me of of fantasy is that uh, you can take your own experience as a teenager or as whatever, and and mythologize it in such a way that people can then apply their own stories to it um, and and see themselves there as well. So that the thing that is true in this absolutely is is the emotion. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I did not, okay, literally have dragon scales as a teenager, but right, metaphorically <laughs> or emotionally, I may as well have because that's the sort of feeling you have that right, you're the you're all alone in the world. You are singularly and spectacularly freakish. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh you know that that you're all alone. and that if that if other people knew that this would be the end of everything, right? That um, you know your your social standing would be completely down the drain. Um, in fiction, then you can kind of you know make that a bit more extreme and say, okay, she would 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 die if people knew. Um, but it's you know again, it's it's the feeling that's true. It's yes, you may as well die as as let people know, you know, <laughs> so uh, metaphorically, so. Yeah, I think I think she was. It was a good uh, choice that way for young adults. Sort of a natural uh, choice, I think, uh, for the first book in particular. So, but you, um, from what you just said about your illustration, it sounds mm-hmm. like you arrived at this partially by accident. 
Yeah. <laughs> a happy accident, a we happy could call accident. it. <laughs> yes. Yes. But it's isn't it wonderful the way these things work out? You discover things about your characters as you go, even as you're inventing them in the first place. That right. uh, that surprise you and open yes. open vistas for your characters that you hadn't previously uh, hadn't previously considered. Yes, no, that's definitely true. And they went, they true. go and do things you didn't want them to do and fall in love or <laughs> die or something. Right, right. Well, you know, the other thing is, back in the comic book, um, I did have a dragon and a human uh, fall in love. The dragon was in human form. The human didn't know. And this was very, you know, when she finally found out, oh, it was terrible and they couldn't be together and it was all very sad. Um and I thought, okay, yes, this is how it has to be because dragons and humans together, that just, that can't possibly work. Well, a friend of mine, a fellow cartoonist, kept bothering me about this. She kept saying, well, when they're, when they're in human form, are they human all the way? And I was like, well, sure. She goes, all the way down to their gametes. And then I was like, no, gross. You know, so I, I was like, rejected this out of hand. Um, mm-hmm. but it kept, it kept niggling at me once <laughs> she'd said it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, well, okay, what if it could happen? Maybe not very often, but what if it, did happen and then what what would that mean uh what would that what would that be like and so my very first inkling um for the novel seraphina was uh really her father's story in a way that he married a dragon in human form without knowing she didn't tell him and he didn't find out until she died in childbirth and then what would that be like? You know, that, that here is somebody, you, he had loved her, but she had lied to him, but he, there was no way to ask her mm-hmm. uh, after the fact. Okay, how, do, and, how dumb do you have to be? <laughs> He's a man of the world. Once a month, you'd think there'd be something left somewhere. She'd have cut her finger in the kitchen, something. <laughs> no. No, no, men, no, it's, it's men are stupid. she has to be. Men are stupid. <laughs> Lawyers are even stupider. At least when it comes. Well, no, but but he lived. I guess that's why he was attracted to a dragon because, as a lawyer, he lives in his head, right? Is there intellectual? (laughs) Yeah, you would kind of think he would. He would have had some inkling, maybe a little bit. And there must have Um, been some. And that's actually something that that gets talked about a bit in this third book that I'm working on because it's about one of the sisters, Mm -hmm. one of the children of his second marriage, Mm -hmm. Um, and and you know. What was their reaction when they found out Seraphina was half dragon, and what did they think about him? You know, and whether he was lying to them or, or you know, and so that that's been fun to explore as well. Yeah, that had to be a big revelation. Mm-hmm. More about the mm-hmm. father than than the daughter, because it's not her fault, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. You don't pick your parents, right? No, that's true. <laughs> the story uh, development uh, for a. Uh, for a character that has uh, essentially two homes, two roots, if you will, but doesn't mm-hmm. belong to either one of them. Uh, except maybe the Music Academy. Oh, yes, except for that. Uh, that has to be an, a very interesting journey as a writer. I mean, it's, it's, um, I mean you, ha- you have this whole world set up, uh, and you throw her into it, and you sort of watch what happens, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 really fun for me. Actually, um, is setting up the world, um, and it is. I mean, I feel like 
fantasy lends itself again this is another of the strong the strengths of fantasy mm-hmm. that it lends itself to sort of thought experiments that you can ask what if and set up the parameters and like a maze and then release your characters and in they go and what happens you know run experiments that you can't run in real life um and so that is that is kind of fun um but yeah i had to really kind of try and explore you know her feelings about herself which are going to be complicated her feelings about her mother uh, and her father as well um, and how how does she reconcile the different parts of herself mm-hmm. uh, and and come to appreciate the strengths of both sides well because having yeah. to balance what what she wants as a person and how she feels as a person right. against right. the needs of uh, you know the needs of fitting into the society and her mm-hmm. father as well you know protecting her father but right. only up to a point you know as, as right uh, as, as, <laughs> well as and that, that at what point does protecting yourself become a hindrance to mm-hmm. doing good in the world okay. that is another you know, question that comes that has to come up for her um, because she isn't uniquely positioned. There's a, a murder that happens, and she is uniquely positioned to help solve this murder. Um, but can she do it without revealing what she is? And that's that's a dilemma she has. And which what is she going to prioritize? Her own safety or doing the right thing? And so that's um, puts her in some interesting dilemmas as well. Well, and and uh, you know the the dilemma of of doing what her father says mm. until it gets to the point where she can't. Right. <laughs> Having to outlawyer the lawyer. <laughs> right. Right. Which is another another common uh, theme in, in YA, I think, too, that you you know, you outgrow your, your first home. And so how do you how do you move beyond it? What of that home do you carry with you? Um and so that's yeah. I think that's what makes it why you know. I mean, it, mm-hmm. people are always trying to define what young adult literature is, and I think one of the things is that it, it just has to do with being on that kind of on the cusp, um, and being about to go out into the world and try and and see what there is, you know. And so, um, you know, that's something I really enjoy. I feel like that's a really interesting moment in anyone's life. So you've you're working on. Uh I believe it is book three in the series mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, uh, so yeah. You... Although, just to be clear, the first two books comprise a duology. It's really mm-hmm. that Seraphina's story, and that gets more or less wrapped up uh, by the end. More the, or less. The... I, I want to know Whoa. what happened. <laughs> there are things that aren't wrapped up. No, that's true. That's true. Um, but then, then I'm doing two more, a second duology in the mm-hmm. in the same world. So and then, after that, I guess we'll see. Yeah, well, I guess we'll see. I mean, my model here, sort of, or inspiration in a way, is is Terry Pratchett's Discworld mm, books, yes. where you've got a big world and you can set any kind of story there, and that that to me is exciting. You know, it's a very a- rich world, isn't it? You've really thought this through. They're 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 familiar countries, but there's several, you know, at least four different mm-hmm. nations and the dragons, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, anything can happen in any of those places. Yeah, no, that's that's With different fun customs for me. and different rules. Yes, and Terry yes. Pratchett is is definitely someone worth emulating. But I'm yeah. a big, big no, he, he was fan. a big a big inspiration for me. Um, really, it was reading some of his books that suddenly made me realize, oh, fantasy can talk about anything, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 you can put it in your own terms, and you can you can 
you know, really work through some of these problems that we are not supposed to discuss in polite society, you know, about race or religion or sexuality or any of these things. And so, um, yeah, it's really fun. I really am glad that I figured that out. <laughs> yeah, figure that out from Tolkien, who addressed race and class and well, all true. these things. That's if true. it's, you know, the, the elves and the dwarves hated each other until they had to pull together and right right you know yeah else. no no the, good, the all the good fantasy has it i just i didn't see it as clearly until i came to pratchett yeah yeah, you know, well, you know, race yeah. and class and constitution and intelligence. And Stop! Stop it! Oh God! Everything comes back to D and I think that's reasonable. I think that's totally logical. Well, the one thing it does at our house. The too, one thing D and D got right is that intelligence and wisdom are separate dice rolls, mm. <laughs> unrelated to each other. Mm. I know brilliant people who can't tie their shoes. Intelligence mm. is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to try to make one, uh, put one in a fruit salad. There you go. Got one word for you, bucko. Gaspacho. <laughs> Although now I sort of want to do that and see if we just can't make it work. But yeah, no. <laughs> don't challenge me that way. Oh. <laughs> uh. But, uh, uh, yes, what were we talking about here? Uh, we were uh, talking about uh, world building. Ah, uh, well, culinary world building. Culinary, well, see, that's well, that fun, too. too. There was, there was some very good advice from, from dragons about, about food, like, don't try and change it to a human just after you've eaten an aurochs. And going, whoa, <laughs> someone had to have really thought about that. <laughs> well, yeah, that could no, be disastrous no, one direction or another. I, yes, yes. Epic indigestion at any at the very least. Well, I think so. it would be epic uh, vomiting, uh, yes. uh, unless it was somewhere in the lower colons. And mm. I don't, I don't pretend to know what are dragons. We, are we really talking about this? Yes, yes, we <laughs> Turns are. Turns out we are. How about that? <laughs> don't get me on, on you know, co- the love lives of the comic book characters because oh, man, well, hey, you know, I, I mean, in in. Serafina itself. There is a dragon cesspit and discussion of that. So I was sure my editor was going to say, um, will you please take this out? But he never said a single thing about it. So it didn't it have is. any boo-boo words and it actually made sense. So <laughs> right. we prob- we prob- it probably didn't, didn't even register on anyone's things unless they had any of the forbidden words you can't say on television. Well, and it, it's... It- illuminates the plot you know it illuminates who the dragons are as as a as a species and as a people to have details like that in there well they were very tidy they kept it all in one place i mean (laughs) i I used to keep rabbits and that's what rabbits do they just go in one corner of the cage and i thought well dragons must be at least as tidy as rabbits so Mm. (laughs) no they're smarter than than our reptiles but you know but they don't go very often either so right (laughs) And now we're talking about rabbit poo. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Poop Hour on on Tripton Radio. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) So, so, um, do you find your work uh, going faster now that you've you've got a more developed world model to to base your work on? Um, Well, that's an interesting question. It was. It's not the world model that ever slows me down. In fact, the world has always has been with me a really long time. I first started it. came up with the very first inklings of it when I was in seventh grade Mm. and uh, we had to write a a narrative poem and um, so I wrote this poem about a knight named Sir Amy 
who lived in Gorev because it rhymed with Fred, which was the name of her horse. This is a very seventh grade poem. Um, but, you know, this is my first, my first inklings of it. And so I had this place and I had always loved fantasy that had its own place, Narnia, Middle Earth, whatever. And so, um, I had this place and then I could set stories there. And so I did. And then the comic was set there. The comic is a wonderful resource because I, it, I have pictures now, right? Uh-huh. If I forget what it looks like, I can go back and go, oh, yeah, that's what they're wearing this year. Uh, and so um, it, the world actually is, is, is just like a big playground for me. The, the difficult thing for me always is plot. Plot does not come naturally. Uh, and I have to really work on that a lot. And so it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I suspect every writer has things that, you know, the element, the classic elements of fiction, some of them come easily, some of them are a struggle. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I feel like, like the world comes easily and, um, theme comes easily. Characters come pretty easily. And then plot is like, Wah. so, <laughs> you know, um, what would Serafina say if she knew she lived in <laughs> your mind garden? <laughs> Wait, what would she say if she lived in my mind? She, if she knew, obviously, this is, Gored yes, is yes. your mind garden. <laughs> well, I think she would think it was very large, <laughs> because it is. Um, and, you know, it, it, that's one of the things I wanted to do with the mind garden, actually, was to kind of convey what it's like to be me, you know, or... or more generally a writer, but I don't know that all writers experience it quite the same way, but your head is full of people and places and Ooh, you go lot visit of, them and talk to them all the time. A lot of writers oh. talk about that. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski said, "What? how would you feel if Kosh lived in your head? Right. And uh, Catherine Kurtz used to uh, claim she took dictation from St. Camber. So, well, there you go. You just got to get them out. Far from alone. Yes, yes. So your greatest struggle is in working out your plot lines and uh, figuring and, out. And yeah, yeah, and making out. it right, compelling to anyone but me. Uh-huh. Like I will be compelled by really small things apparently, but um, you My know. <laughs> but I'm getting better at that. I'm getting that's, you know, when you asked if if it gets uh-huh. easier each time, it actually does. And I'm actually there are actual skills to be learned and mm-hmm. Thank goodness I'm capable of learning them, if slowly. So uh, the first book, in fact, I rewrote it four times with four different plots. Oh, my. Many of the same characters, you know, some of the characters changed roles, but not not really. Most of them are the same. By the time we got to the fourth one, I felt like I was a movie director who was privileged to work with the same group of actors for a really long time, you know, and I could just, I, I knew what everyone was capable of. It was actually kind of great. You just point to people and say, okay, you over there, and you know, and the cast parties were awesome, and you know. Really good <laughs> okay, okay, I'm going to ask one oh, of my funny. standard questions. What's your head casting? My head or casting. Or I have to have to say he's, he's uh, um, Benedict that be, Cumberbatch. That would be alternate, <laughs> surrounded by plaster, usually, or hydrostatic. Stop. <laughs> no. You know, a little straw. Casting for the in your head. Oh, that oh, kind Orna of thing. has to be has to be Benedict Cumberbatch. There's no I, that would suit me. I would not complain about that. I actually, you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me. I'm not but gonna laugh. I at do you. not really cast people much. Because See, that's my favorite game. I would like to be surprised if, if this ever did get made into a movie. I hope I will be completely surprised. I think that would be fun to see what somebody else comes up with. Um, 
you know. So I, I actually really don't. I really don't think about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Seeing your work filtered through someone else's perspective, I think. I would think be that would be interesting. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the. Um, there's a book trailer that Random House made for me. Um, if you go on YouTube, you can find Ooh, it. I didn't you see that. Seraphina really book that. trailer, and <laughs> on the one hand. It's completely wrong. Like everybody really like, I'm like, what? But on the other hand, I just, I love it so much because somebody thought about it, right? Somebody thought about my book and thought about, well, what should we show and what will they look like and what will be emphasized? And I just, I don't know. When it first came out, I watched it like 20 times in a row and just fell out of my chair laughing each time because it was, it was, I was just so tickled that somebody had done this for me. Um, so yeah, I think I would feel the same way about a movie. I'd just watch it over and over again and laugh. <laughs> well, Perry so, Pratchett yeah. survived uh, his books being made into movies, and right. in fact, he participated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know if I would want to participate. I think I would want to just have somebody else do it completely. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and uh, frankly, most screenwriters and directors would rather have it that way. Well, <laughs> I they, know. You know, I know. because uh, right. writers right. writers uh, who write novels mm. uh, generally don't have a clear idea of the restrictions and limitations of actual uh, production. Right. So. Right. Ooh, I think well, it, people talk about, you know, preserving the vision or whatever, but I really feel like the movie is going to be the movie maker's vision and not mine, right? That, that it'll be inspired by, but not dictated by. So I really, that, that doesn't bother me, I guess, to let I guess, go of that. I guess, I guess that's up to you, obviously, <laughs> should the day come. I, I think that uh, it's, it's been basically pretty, a pretty good thing. I mean, Joe yeah. Rowling got, got to muck about with, with the Harry Potter books, like who gets to fall in love with whom and stuff like that in the movie, in the books that she that's hadn't true. written yet, you know? That's true. That's true. And that's a good point. That's a good point. And maybe when it comes down to it, I'll feel differently. Maybe suddenly I'll realize that no, they will pry this out of my cold, dead hands. Um, but right now, no, I feel very laissez faire about the whole thing. So, because <laughs> it's not happening yet. This right? is just <laughs> pie in the sky. That's well, right. You know, it's, Take a pie it's, break. It's, it's it's great if if you've got Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, you know, or or imagining somebody like him in the role. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. they've selected somebody competent, or they mm-hmm. could get Pia Zadora to play the main, you know, the title role, and all of a sudden it's it goes to hell in a handbasket. Well, you know, sometimes actors can rise to the occasion. Anne Rice was so disappointed when they announced Tom Cruise as as. The, uh, mm-hmm. the the vampire mm-hmm. Lestat, and he was wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she, even she took out you know the ads and the trace to say, okay, I apologize. <laughs> He's fabulous. He's exactly <laughs> right. what I wanted. Because right. actors are actors. They, they well, that's true. That's, that's what true. they do. Well, yes, yes. Well, and you know, as I love Cumberbatch as much as anyone, but... You don't want to get him typecast as a dragon, either. Well, I feel like he's he's so obvious that maybe it would be more interesting and surprising to have somebody you don't expect and see what they can do. And he's already done the intellectual with who has trouble with his emotional side around emotional people, you know? Yes. It's it's almost Vulcan, isn't it? It is, actually. Oh my God, Seraphine is Spock. <laughs> oh a little God. bit. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. I just I that right. just hit me. I think you're yeah. right. You know, in a way, Serafina is Spock. I, it's exactly the same sort of emotional dynamic, right? Going on, right? Right. 
Yeah. No, I think that's that's a very good uh, thought there. I mean, people have asked me if, if the dragons are intended to be based on Vulcans, but really they're not intentionally that way. Uh, and I think... Um, well, they're alien. You know, they there's they a, have right. alien... They right. have reasons we don't get because we're not dragons. Right. Right. Well, and I think Vulcans also have reasons we don't get. But I think... I think what's interesting to me always with the Vulcans is that, you know, they talk about logic, and their logic leads them to some very kind of pacifistic conclusions, these Vulcans. You know, they're they're really very peace-loving people. Whereas logic doesn't have to lead you there. It can lead you a variety of places, depending what your, your first principles are. And so it seems to me like that isn't necessarily the end result of a logical people is that they're going to be peace-loving and, and meditative, and you know? Well, when so, they decide you're cockroaches, then right, you know, it's, exactly. just, it's just, you know, insecticide if they hurt you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there you go. You, you spent um, a lot of years building up your, your universe, starting in seventh grade. I find that absolutely encouraging because Mm -hmm. so many of us uh, built our fantasy worlds and wrote them down in high school and and, you know it was fun and we never thought it would go anywhere but you've actually taken that and done something productive with it and uh, Mm -hmm. I adore that first of all but secondly um, it shows that your that Serafina's universe has a great deal of depth to it and Mm -hmm. that you've had a great deal of time to flesh all this out so that it makes good solid sense when you write about it yes so that you have yes. your world has a consistency oh well, good i'm glad it, ha- it does but yes it 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 um i think that that is a difficulty i have when people ask for advice about world building is you know my best advice is we'll start in seventh grade <laughs> but <laughs> people can't uh-huh. usually go back in time it turns out so um they have to come up with a different way of, of doing it. But the other thing I think that's important to take from it is that um, that worlds evolve, just like the real world. Your fictional world needs to have some space to evolve and grow and change. And mm-hmm. and a lot of times I think people start building and they get so in love with certain ideas that it gets really set in stone and then it's hard to work around that. Um, but really, I mean, I'm learning new things about this place all the time even though it yes i know it very well but um for example in seraphina one of the last parts that i wrote uh were the scenes that take place in the sort of ghetto where the dragons and quiggle are shut up at night this is based very much on the middle ages you know what they they did with with jews in the middle ages mm-hmm. um but it, originally that wasn't there the quiggle were not in town uh at all and my editor said to me very sensibly after many we'd already been through many drafts he was like why are people still so scared of dragons if they you know spend 40 years and they don't see them in the sky they don't they don't see the monsters around the monstrous in their monstrous form and why why are people still so freaked out by them and i said oh and then because they're in the bible i had this <laughs> yeah i had this other the second species of dragon that I'd kind of been saving for some amorphous future time mm-hmm. that uh, maybe some, they'd travel and meet them somewhere else. And I thought, well, what if? What if the Quiggle are in town? Why wouldn't the treaty apply to them as well? And if they were in town, that could keep it fresh in people's minds. That, you know, you go down in the cellar to get a cabbage and there's the, there's this 
big lizard, right? <laughs> and um, it scares you. And and so I was I was. It took one step further when I was talking to a friend of mine at lunch. I was telling her you know what I was kind of thinking, and she was she looks at me and she goes, so. I don't know. I mean, yeah, they're ugly, but what else? Are they are they aggressive panhandlers? And suddenly I realized, yes, yes, they are aggressive panhandlers. And so there's this scene in the book where there's this Quigan on a street corner who's all like, hey, you know, <laughs> give me some coins. And um, <laughs> what did that mean to the Quiggle and what did that mean to the humans were two different things. But it was still, it was just a moment that came from, from came very late to me. So, um but it turned out to be like kind of a pivotal moment in the story. I don't really understand how that happens, <laughs> but it did. So, so in a sense, world building is a lot like plot building. I mean, you well, start out with a be. you start out with a uh, a well set premise or a well set universe, and then you have to figure out how it evolves and how logically it will evolve from, uh, mm-hmm. from your starting point. And of course, mm-hmm. you have to have your destination in mind as you go. So you have to work at it from both ends, don't you? Yes, yes. No, that's true. That's true. Well, and one thing about a really rich world as well is that the world itself can suggest plot elements because, um, you know, laws that they have, rules that they have, these are just going to be engines for conflict because there's always going to be people who, who chafe against the rules or who break the rules or, you know, and so there's there's lots of opportunities there. Um Back when I was doing the comic, one thing um, that was a big turned into a big plot point for me was that I, I was reading a book called "Women in the Middle in the Medieval Town," women in the medieval town about how they were discovering that in fact women were a lot more involved in business than people tend to assume they were in the Middle Ages. Uh, that, but there were rules: a widow, for example, could carry on her husband's business. Um, for her chil- until her children were of age, or you know, there were just different circumstances. A daughter could carry on a business for a certain number of years, or until she married, you know. And so there were these rules, and that uh, suddenly created a character for me that I had this cloth merchant who was carrying on her father's business, but she needed to get married and turn the business over to a husband, or the business was going to be forfeit to the magistrates of the town. And so, you know, that, like I said, is, comes from reading and from from thinking about what kind of rules existed or could exist. Uh, and then similarly in Serafina, that if dragons and humans were going to live together in this way, near each other, what did the rules, what rules had to be in place so that the humans felt safe and so the dragons, you know, wouldn't just run rampant over everything. So Well, and likewise, you know, uh, the dragons would have a lot to say about uh, uh, a lot to say about the kinds of rules that were made about them. Not not that right. anybody would necessarily listen to them, but right. they would have a lot to say about it. Well, right. that's why there was a treaty, and mm-hmm. it took a lot of work to work that out. I mean, it's not... The humans were not helpless. They, they, they had knights, and they had ways of, of mm-hmm. enforcing their will, too. Mm-hmm. There, there, mm-hmm. There, there was some technology in place to... It right, fight the dragons. I see. Okay. Right. Now that that was kind of fun, <laughs> making that up. Right. I figured they'd have a, a martial art. Yeah. You know that they specifically developed for fighting dragons. That made sense to me. So, um, 
But yes, in Serafina, that has been kind of disbanded, and the last practitioners are kind of living in a cave. <laughs> but and, they're teaching. Uh, it, they're teaching young people, though. I mean, yes, yes. There's there's a secret art going on. Nobody. Yes. This hasn't been lost. <laughs> yes. No. That that was fun to create. Certainly. But right, the you when 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 world building, I should say. Oh, hello. That uh, oh, that's my telephone. Scott, could you please do something about that? Sorry. Uh, that's okay. This is this is yeah. what the editor but this is uh, this is Very what the editor does. <laughs> we'll make a note of the time. What's our time? Uh, it's uh, thirty eight minutes. Okay. So yeah, sorry about I'll, that. I'll make a note. Okay, that's okay. There aren't too many ums and uhs to to not really knock out this time. So we're doing oh, unless you count, well. Unless you count mine. <laughs> Which is, I'm used uh, to. It. All right. I forgot what I was saying though. <laughs> um, it was dragon ma- dragamachia. Oh god, I, yes. I have got to ask you about pronunciations. There's oh <laughs> oh my god. You know, I'm, I I was trying to go go Welsh with. I thought it was Goreth. With a th- 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 th. You know, it is now. Uh, when I first was in seventh grade, and I called it Gred to rhyme with Fred, right? Ah. Um, but I have changed my own pronunciation of it to Grev. Um, right. But eh, I had the double D. I didn't understand this in seventh grade, that the double D was its own sound. I'd seen it in books, but I hadn't, didn't understand it made a sound that was different. Um, but I... I put it so because otherwise it looked like the name of the country was gourd right and i that mm. was not the name of the country no <laughs> so that was was the reason that was there originally um but yes i i changed it as i as and, i evolved and then sar um, sar all the all the dragon related words yes um some of those are um they're really really loosely derived from greek um, and most of them, I think you're just, your first instinct is, is correct. That SAR is, is how you're going to say that. And, um, SAR and trust is the, uh, the longer version. Um, but yes, yeah, some of them are, are challenging to pronounce that, that I didn't really think about at the time. They're just, you know, I wasn't trying to trip anyone up. Um, but actually the second book was supposed to have been called Dracomachia. But they persuaded me, and I, they were right, that A, no one could say it, and B, no one could spell it, and that booksellers everywhere were going to you know, go crazy trying to figure out what book people wanted uh, if no one could say it or spell it. So, Especially when you, you, know, you go into borders and you type in the author's name, and, or you right. type in the, the title of the book and you can't find it. Are you right. in a You're time machine? Borders? Really? <laughs> uh, well, you know. I was in total agreement there. Until, <laughs> I used to work the, at a Borders yeah, long, borders, long ago. Uh, um, <laughs> I mean, yes, I mean, yes. You if know, you take big, your time machine big, to Borders, big, then you have bookstore. a lot of challenges. You, you or, or type Amazon. it on the internet. You yeah, know? You, you, you search for it on an Amazon then. There you, you go. T- try to type in the name and it, you come up with Dragomachia. You know, you try to figure out how Dragomachia is spelled. You'll never get it. Right. You have to come up with all the ten most popular misspellings. Dragomania. Ooh. I don't know. Whatever. That would work. Yeah. Dracomania. Dracomania. <laughs> that sounds like Harry Potter fanfic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, we don't want to go there. Oh. Oh. <laughs> all right. Draco has his fans too. I guess he I does. Say, yeah. You know? Yeah. There's all sorts of 
shipping something that character. For, something for everyone. Everybody That's likes a bad right. guy. So did you uh, did you ever think about coming up with a complete working uh, language for the dragons? That uh, um, I may have thought about it for like five minutes and then decided no. <laughs> I no no functional necessity for having it. Well, either. that's part of it. And and I think if you're if you're a linguist such as Tolkien and you that's really super fun for you, then go for it. <laughs> but I I do not find it fun to make up languages. So I make up individual words as needed mm-hmm. and they're intended to have sort of a flavor <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, such that in Ninnis, it's it's the words are vaguely romance flavored, mm-hmm. and in Samsung, the languages, the words are vaguely kind of Germanic flavored, and uh, in Porphyry, it's vaguely Greco-Roman stuff. So, but it, it's intended to be extremely vague and not any kind of one-to-one correspondence, and not certainly not making up a whole language because I just <laughs> I don't have so much space in my brain. This is true. You're doing and, other things. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and as you just mentioned, it really didn't, uh, it wouldn't have done anything to drive your story forward. Right. You know, it's not like the Tolkien books where, uh, where language and uh, the right. interaction of the various groups through their various languages uh, dictated so much of how they, uh, right. how things progressed and how they got, got along and, or didn't get along. Well, and he was good at that, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think, you know, stick to your strengths. <laughs> I'm I'm my strengths are elsewhere, shall we say. So, yep. I found yep, definitely. I was certainly captured from the very first page. Uh, the the eloquence with which Serafina spoke about being born and what that was like. Uh, mm-hmm. and the world that that uh, informed that monologue mm. was so rich and so evident that I was immediately captured by it. I mean, this is uh, this is this is where the magic happens. This is where uh, this is where an author. It, it, the first page is the proving ground. If you can't, well, thank you. Yeah, and it that really hits the mark. Well, thank you. No, I'm 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 very pleased to hear that we. Uh, we worked a long time on it. So <laughs> when I say we, I mean my editor kept oh, yeah. demanding things. Well, oh, I thought you meant <laughs> you and all the characters in your head. Me, well, that too, actually. Me and Serafina. Uh, but uh, no, it's interesting that um, the prologue of Serafina mm-hmm. is actually from an earlier version of Serafina. And I had given up everything in that version, and I had just sort of been like, okay, I can't even look at it anymore. I don't even want to think about it anymore. I'm just, we're going on, we're doing, starting fresh, we're doing new. And after I'd written this version that exists now, my editor came back to me and was like, oh, you know what I really miss? I miss that scene where she was born, and I miss that scene where uh, she sees Orma for the first time. And I was like, no, no, I will never look at that draft again. He was like, oh, please. And then I did. I don't know. It was hard, though, right? Because, like, I think Uh sometimes you have to harden your heart to the previous drafts and just move on. And I had sort of pushed that aside so completely that I didn't want to look at it again. Well, on Um, the other hand, don't throw anything away. Well, yeah. (laughs) You might need it. No, that's true, too. Um, In fact, I don't. Anytime I take out a scene, I always keep it religiously as if, you know, maybe I'll need it again. 
go back and pirate it for parts sometimes, but, uh, <laughs> you know. But yes, that, so from the very early drafts of Serafina, the, the prologue and the scene where she first meets Orma in his natural shape are um, the two things that survived. Uh, and everything else, um, I had to start over again and, mm-hmm. and come up with something else. <laughs> I think I think so. your editor was right. I think uh, I think yes. having that prologue was yes. just what it needed. I mean, it, it really- is a super annoying fact about my editor that he is pretty much always right. Um, <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> it makes me so mad. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm I'm actually I'm very lucky, um, but it, it's also hard because. Uh, I just got notes for this third book, and mm-hmm. my knee-jerk reaction to notes is always, "What? This is this is the worst! I'm just I'm going to burn the earth!" And uh, so I always have to take a few days and calm down, and then look at the notes again and realize, "Oh, he has a point." Uh, and the other night, my husband was like, "So how are you doing?" And I said, "Well." I'm beginning to think Jim has a point. And my husband was like, ah, right on schedule. Three days. Yep. <laughs> Set our watch by you. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I take suggestions on things that I write to, and I'm, I'm very resistant. And I, I always end up having to, you know. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. Suck it up. And yep. Just do yep. it. And, and it's it's usually better i don't i haven't been uh i haven't been working with an editor so uh maybe we need one maybe we need one so well one thing my editor said to me early on because i was feeling very pugnacious and adversarial early on i know that's hard to imagine um but he he was like listen i need you to believe that you and i are in cahoots on this thing that we both have the same goal in mind we're on the same team and i was like okay I will do my best to believe that. And so every time I get mad at him, (laughs) I I find myself remembering the word cahoots and like giggling because it's a funny word. But that really is the thing that when I, when, when it seems like you're butting heads, try and remember that, that in fact you have the same goal and the goal is for this to be the best book it can be. And so, you know, he's not out to get me. I just, (laughs) we're, we're on Mm -hmm. the same team. I'm going to open a coffee house or a tavern and call it Cahoots. See, that's a great word. It's a wonderful word. We're in word. Cahoots. Cahoots. That's right. Hootman. That would work. Yes. What does a that's Scottish right. owl say? Hootman. <laughs> yes. That just that's popped out. terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, indeed. <coughs> oh. Bad Scottish Joke Hour on Krypton right. Radio. I've got some worse ones, but I don't think we could put them on the radio. No, not really. <laughs> Possibly not. Sheep lie. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm editing this whole section out. Just saying. <laughs> You're not fun. I remember when you were fun. Oh. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Event Horizon here on Krypton Radio this evening. The books in question are... Serafina and Shadow Scale, and my logline for them is The Heralds of Valdemar Meet the Phantom of the Opera. It's a complete other world with a music academy and, and, the, and the, the spirit of music all through them. 
Thank you both so much for having me. I've had a wonderful time. You guys are a hoot, shall we say. And uh, <laughs> hope I can come back sometime. Absolutely. You're Next welcome book, back you're, you're welcome. All right. Yeah. I'll get it written fast. Right. Please. <laughs> or even earlier, you know. I mean, we If you do... want to talk about if we have like a, a cahootness of, of uh, YA <laughs> authors, we've been there talking to a bunch of them lately. Think and, of me. And they're all very different. And, and you yeah. know, I'm going to want to compare some notes. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You're that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. I think yeah. we should do that. A cahoot. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's the that's the collective noun for young adult authors. A cahoot. A cahoot. A cahoot. So there you go. <laughs> a cahoot of YA authors. All right. And thank you again. It's been great. Thank you so much. All right. All right. You have just heard episode 108 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for July 25th, 2015. Our guest has been Rachel Hartman, the author of the young adult fantasy novel Serafina and most recently Shadow Scale, both from Random House Publishing. Your hosts have been Gene Turnbow and Susan L. Fox. This episode will air again on July 26th, 2015 at 4 p.m. Pacific and at various additional times throughout the coming week. See the Krypton Radio website at kryptonradio.com for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads at the Krypton Radio website and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at katcarter at kryptonradio.com. Krypton Radio is substantially listener-supported sci-fi and geek culture Radio. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Visit patreon.com slash Radio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schermeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>